The Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. All your pro-freedom podcasts in one place. You can find the Self-Defense Radio Network at sdrn.us. Some of the great shows that you'll see there are the Polite Society podcast, Self-Defense Gun Stories, Gun Freedom Radio, Riding Shotgun with Charlie, and many, many others. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we hope you enjoy the show. As everybody knows, I'm Rolo, the Puerto Rican Pistolero, and I'm joined by Latina Locked and Loaded, my uh, wonderful and beautiful wife. And tonight we have Sullivan from Icon Weapons. That's I-K-O-N Weapons. He is a uh, an FFL and firearms manufacturer specializing in Galils and uh, other premium custom weapons. So how are you doing this evening, Sullivan? How are you guys doing? Doing? We're doing great. All right. So uh, if everybody can hear us, let us know. And uh, if we run into any issues, just uh, give us a holler. So uh, one of the goals of Locked and Loaded Latinos from the start, if you've been listening to us, is uh, we've always wanted to showcase Latinos in the firearms community. Uh, everything from advocacy, training, and uh, and uh, obviously the industry. And uh, Suliban actually reached out to us uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, how did you find out about us, actually? Uh, in the I, first place, I think it was a video that somebody shared with me on the Instagram. Okay, awesome. Uh, and he uh, reached out to us and uh, wanted to see what we were all about. And I said, "Yeah, that's awesome because that's what we've always wanted to showcase." <laughs> so awesome. So, Sullivan, so uh, tell us a little bit about your story, where you came from, uh, how you got, you know, I guess your story from uh, coming from Bogota and Colombia. Uh, all the way here, what you went through and how you got into uh, guns and ultimately manufacturing and what you want to do uh, with your company. And, and that was a lot of questions in one, Rolando. <laughs> I know. You know that's how I always do it. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to call it, uh, we're going to call it from donuts to guns. Let's put it that way. Okay. My, um, I came to the States, uh, specifically to Atlanta. That's where the plane landed. Uh, in uh, June 8 of 2003 and I came with one of my best friends um, and then from there we took another plane to a small town called Motto Beach here in South Carolina um, I, I got here and um, at that time I just finished uh, school so I graduated from the Escuela Colombiana Ingeniería uh, in Bogota and uh, and I just got in here and I did not speak, I did not understand, I didn't know, I didn't speak English at all, like nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really shocking for me from the from the get-go, from the beginning. Um, my first job, like I say, when I got here in 2003 was actually, I was a cook at Krispy Kreme. So, <laughs> yeah. So I cook, in so I cook my ship, I have the third ship. And I used to cook from 7 p.m. Uh, until 7 a.m. So, and the reason why I choose that is because he paid the most. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to come in here to make money. And, uh, and I did, and I did. Um, it's amazing how just by working that job, cooking donuts, I was making more money than a, an engineer, uh, racing graduate uh, was making in my country. Right. Well, in wow. 
So, yeah. so it was, it was, it was a good experience. But at the same time, I quickly realized, and especially around December, I remember I came here in June. So I was working almost for six months, and in December, I realized that you know the parents call you, and everybody's get together. And Colombia is crazy. Everybody's families together. We're having the novena. And everybody's dancing, and, and it's so exciting to be there. And I was the only one here. And I was at that time, I, re, I remember it's still December 24 of 2003. And I was actually mopping uh, around 11.45 <laughs> on December 24. Now, this is one of the cultural things that I always talk about. In Colombia, nobody's working at that time. Everything is closed, and here it's just another day. They celebrate Christmas Eve, which is the morning off, right? Yeah. So that was the first one of the things that I was like, man, this is this is kind of different. This is crazy. So I remember my parents calling me, and all my family was on the phone, and, um, and, and I remember being, like, mopping, and I just literally just seriously started crying. And I was like, what the I'm no, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember going home. And my dad called me back and he said, well, you're an engineer. You can always come back in here and then just just do what you need to do or try there. Right. So I decided to quit. Um, and when I tried to quit a Krispy Kreme, um, they actually gave me a race. They didn't want me to leave. <laughs> I, was, I was one of the best cooks they have. <laughs> so they want to give me another dollar to stay per hour, which was really tempting. But I knew I needed to go. Um, and I put my resume together and I started looking for a job and then, um, I got a, I got an interview, right? So my, I I put my resume together as an engineer, you know, I got all these credentials and stuff and, and, uh, I graduated with a great school in, in Colombia and I went to the interview and of course I didn't know how to communicate. Right. So I remember mm-hmm. at the end of the interview, the guy told me here in the South and, and they use a lot that here in the South, the guy told me, you know what? We call you later. And I thought that they are really going to call me. Right. So I go home <laughs> and I was just waiting yeah, on it and waiting and waiting. And they never call. I took my phone everywhere, bathroom and they never call. So I called them back and I say, um, hey, you guys never call me back. And um, and they say, well, we fill the position. So. I keep I keep notching down my resume. So I went from engineer to technician to um, help. I got all the way down to CAT operator. So I learned CAT when I was in Colombia and Bogota. Mm-hmm. So I start by doing uh, um, I start by by um, by doing AutoCAD, and I realized that I found a job on a serving company doing AutoCAD. So I go to an interview and I memorize these phrases because I didn't speak English. And the guy told me the same thing. Now, you know what? We call you later. And I knew now that here in the South, that means get the hell out of my office, right? That's what it would call likely, right? They tell you I call you later means you didn't get the job with next next one coming down the yeah. end, right? So so I pulled this list and I told the guy, hey, listen, me, me, I work for you for free. One day, I told him, I will work for you one day for free. And the guy is like, well, I don't know. And I say, out of cap. Just put me in front of the computer. If you can put me in front of the computer, like all this is in, is in a little note that I wrote uh, uh, right using the dictionary. And the guy said, well, I don't know. And then I said, please, just you don't have to pay me. Let me be on the computer for a couple hours. If, if you don't think I'm, I'm good enough, then 
I'm leaving. You will never see me. And the guy's like, okay. It was a Southern guy. His name is Michael. And he owns the surveying company. And then he was like, all right, well, get, get to work. I'll see you tomorrow. I got in there, and I remember being so scared. I was so scared because nobody speaks Spanish, and I didn't speak English. And they were asking me things. And everything they asked me, I would say, like, yes. And I would smile, right? Like, <laughs> hey, man, how are you? And I would be like, yes. And then smile. Like, hey, do you, do you want coffee? And I would be like, yes. And then they would be like, everything they would say, I would say yes to it. So they quickly realized that I didn't speak anything. And I didn't. So, so they quickly realized that. But I got mm -hmm. in front of the computer. And I started working in the computer. And the guy just read, like, some stuff on it. And then I finished it really quick. And he's like, okay, well, here go another one. And then I finished it really quick. And then um, I got the job by 11 o'clock in the morning. He told me, you can stay. And <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I ended up working with a serving company. And uh, it, in a year, it took me a year to become the manager. So I became the manager of the CAT people, the people that was to drone out of CAT doing the plants. Um, and then I keep learning English. And I was studying. And I was watching a lot of movies. I watched my, um, my favorite movie ever, Flow. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, it's a crazy movie, but I, I love it. I, I think that it's a really good movie. And I start memorizing parts of the movie and I start talking like the movie. And, 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 and that's what helped <laughs> me get the language out. And another thing I did is at that time, I got a bunch of friends in Miami and I got an offer in Miami, but it was in Spanish. So at that time, I knew if I end up in Miami, I will never learn English. I knew it. I knew yeah. it because all my friends, everybody there... Just, I actually I remember, if I'm correctly, I have a, uh, uh, um, I was dating somebody that also speaks Spanish in there. So I knew that if I end up going there, it would be the end of me learning English. So I decided to stay, surround myself with English-speaking people. We're in a small town. There's few Latinos in here. There's literally mm -hmm. just few. So that helps me a lot. Now, from that company, I remember we used to share the office with an engineering, the, the kitchen with an engineering company right next to us. And the engineers used to go to the, to the back of the kitchen and make their coffee every morning. And I made my task to go every morning while they were making their coffee. And I was just start making my coffee and I would say, hey, do you know I'm an engineer, right? Like I would tell them that I was also an engineer. And they were like, okay. And then they was literally just leave like this guy's nuts, like every night. So a year went by. And then one time I came to work and my boss, uh, the owner of the serving company was waiting for me. And he told me that the engineer boss on the other side, the owner of the engineering company, he wanted to speak with me on the conference room day too. And then this guy told me like, Suleiman, we're going to have to let you go. Um, you, you've been annoying everybody on the back every time. And I was like horrified, right? So they, he fake fired me kind of thing. And, and then I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. So but then he say, but you know what? This guy wants to hire you. And I was like, really? And I was so excited. So I moved from being a, a, a cat operator on a serving company to be a technician on an engineering company. They cleaned the, um, I used to share a, 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 like a cubicle with a bunch of people mm -hmm. and they cleaned this closet next door. It was a closet. I'm not lying to you. It was a closet <laughs> and they clean it and they put a computer in there and that was my office. And wow. I was so excited and it was a bunch of engineering books around me. 
And I told the guy, I say, uh, they got me clocking in and clocking out. I mean, we're talking about 2005, five-ish. So they got me clocking in and clocking out. And uh, as a note, as a note, when I moved into the surveying company, I actually took a pay cut. As a cook, mm -hmm. they were paying me about eight bucks an hour with the dollar raise they offered me. And the minimum wage at that time was about six twenty-five around that. Mm -hmm. When I went back to the serving company, when I started working in the serving company, they paid me minimum wage. But I knew wow. I knew that's what I wanted because I didn't smell like dough and I wanted to be yeah. on an office set up and, and I knew I, I have the opportunity to learn more. So then I moved into the uh, engineering company and I stayed with them for about four years. There was a small company. There was only four engineers. And I decided to start um, uh, doing the transfer of my papers um, to, to become licensed engineer in South Carolina. And a lot of people told me, that's insane. You're never going to do it. We all try. Is You got to take two tests. One test is called the EITs, 320 questions, eight-hour test. And the other mm -hmm. question is called the PE. And you got to – it was crazy. So I decided to go for it. And in the four years, I reached my license. So I became a fully licensed a PE by the state of South Carolina. So I got my seal and, um, and, and life was good and everything awesome. was perfect. And, and I became an engineer. I got out of race and then I got picked up. I was on an inspection with another bigger company. And uh, the guy that was in the inspection, I was beating him on the numbers. We were doing a sewer pump station. So I'm a, I'm a civil engineer. That's my background. And we were doing some pump station calculations. And uh, I beat him every time on the calculations. And the guy's like, you know what? Come here. I'll take you. Um, I invite you to lunch. And I was like, okay. And it turns out he ended up giving me an offer. And he asked if he can send me the offer. And I said, yeah, sure. And when I got the offer, I couldn't believe it. So I printed out and I couldn't believe the number. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is insane. Uh, it, um, it was the normal. So you guys know it was the normal for a professional engineer at that time. But for me, that mm -hmm. was huge because I come from this small company that they were, they were good to me, but they didn't pay as well. I almost sure. doubled, doubled what I was making. And, um, and it was exciting. I got in with them. And then 2008 happened, okay? And you got, I, I was with them for about a year and a half. And then I have my own office. I have my secretary. Uh, I became a project engineer. So I was just literally driving, driving and traveling to job sites. And then 2008 happened, like I say. And in 2008, mm. if you guys remember, uh, the, economy, yep. the economy went to tank. I mean, it was bad. So I remember on a Wednesday coming back to work and i remember my boss saying okay nobody leaves it, it was a engineer it was a mid-sized engineering company we have construction inspectors office managers marketing directors so he said nobody leaves everybody stay we got a conference call with one of the owners of the company and uh he called everybody in the conference room on a wednesday in october of 2008 i will never forget that day I got my coffee. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I got in. I got my notepad. I'm ready to, okay, let's see what, what we're going to talk about. And the owner of the company was on a speakerphone. And then he said, sorry, guys, due to the economy, we're shutting down for business. They closed the entire company. And um, I quickly realized I have no job. 
um, I ended up in unemployment. Um, uh, at that time, I was married with my first wife. And I ended up in unemployment. And I ended up, um, at that time, like everybody else, every other American, um, I was living on a house that was beyond my capabilities of pain. Uh, I was driving a car that was uh, be above my capabilities of pain. <laughs> so they ended up repoing the car from my garage. And wow. uh, because the unemployment check didn't even cover insurance. So I literally called the bank and I say, either you come and get it or I drop it, whatever you want me to drop it because I can't pay it. Uh, so they pick it up from the driveway. I even handle the keys to the guy. I say, here's the keys. You don't even have to find me. Just take it. Um, and I start my own engineering company at that time. So here is still me thinking that I can start an engineering company by myself. So I decided to go for it. So I start hustling and um, I met this contractor at that time and he has a little bit of work and I remember um, going to work with him and doing certain development, certain things. And I was, the, I was his engineer and I was trying to chase different other projects, doing, mm -hmm. doing a water design, subdivision design at that time was there was no real estate. I don't know if you guys remember, houses were in foreclosed. Um, yeah. It was really horrible. And this is me trying to start a, a, a business. I tried to go into construction as well because, you know, I speak Spanish and I know a bunch of uh, Brazilians and Mexicans. So I thought, wait, I know how to do drawings. I, I'm an engineer. I can do the structure. I can become a contractor. I passed the contractor test. And um, talking with this older guy, I remember one time going to work and he, I got a little deafness to his and, and he called me for a meeting and he said, you need to buy this. And he throw a piece of paper on my desk, well, on the desk that I was in front of me. And it was a metal roofing machine. I never seen one. And then he said to me, you should buy it. And then I was like, man, you should buy it. I mean, dude, I have no money. Like, how you want me to buy it? And he said, Go to the bank. You got good credit, right? And I said, well, yes, I, I you know, I defaulted payments, but I was back onto the 700s again. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's an important thing in this country, okay, the credit. As that's something oh, that, yeah. that most Latinos don't know that. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a big card, okay, especially if you're starting a business or you want to be on business. Credit is really important. Uh, we Colombians were used to pay for cash for everything. And he was the guy that taught me that you got to use your credit. You got to revolt credit. You got to use it. And, and he trained me on doing all the stuff. I ended up buying a piece of equipment and I started a metal roofing company. And at the time when I started the metal roofing company, I was running it. So I was literally the guy driving the truck. So I bought me a truck actually on an auction in Florida. And you wow. uh, air brakes truck, which you have to have a special license, and I didn't have that license. Mm -hmm. I drove it from there, hitched the trailer, and it started cutting metal roof. Um, I remember I sold one of the jobs to a hotel, and I remember I finished the job. We put all the roof. It was a, 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 I finished everything, and the guy paid me. And I remember uh, I made 20 grand at that time. He paid me 20 grand. I pay everybody. And I got some cash left. So I went home to, to my first wife. I was really excited. I said, hey, I got this money. Look, like, and she was so excited. She told me, hey, we can go on a vacation now. 
And I was like, oh, no, no vacation. I don't know where the next paycheck is going to come. You got to so, save, yeah. Yeah, so we got into a little argument in there. And she said something that I will never forget. She said, you need to find a job while you're playing around. She used to call it playing around, right? So, so I, we went to bed and I started thinking, what can I do? That will allow me to to do business and, and and be an entrepreneur while and still have money to pay the bills, right? Mm-hmm. So somehow it occurred to me that I can teach. So I I went and I look at the schools around us and I found this technical college and they have an engineering program on civil engineering. So I literally walked there and I entered a school. And if you guys are familiar, technical schools, you can go in anywhere you want. Like, literally, you walk like there's nobody mm-hmm. stopping you. So I started looking for the department head of engineering. And I found a guy, and I got my resume and said, hey, listen, I'm an engineer. I'm a professional engineer. I have a, I'm a licensed engineer. I would like to teach for you at nights and on the weekends. And the guy was like, okay, well, who are you? Kind of like I got him. You know, he was not expecting mm-hmm. to see me. And I left the resume with him, and then he ended up calling me like two weeks later. And uh, he said, Sullivan, you still want to teach? And I said, yeah. I said, all right, well, I got a class for you starting on Monday. That was a Friday. Wow. And then on Monday, I started teaching. And I started teaching part-time. And um, while I was teaching, my first class teaching, it's all Americans, right? I'm the only one that is, 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 is a minority, a Latino, right? And I have an accident. So I'm freaking out, and I'm teaching statics, which is uh, forces like physics. Yep. And I mm-hmm. remember I won't even look at them. I would just look at the board, and I would just start writing things on the board. And every time I look back, one of those guys was falling asleep. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. So the class is over. I got out. And the guy, my, my boss was waiting for me. He said, how's the class? And I said, hey, man, I don't think I can do this because every time I look around, everybody falls asleep. And he said, how many fall asleep? And I said, five. And he said, only five? You're good. It was a class <laughs> at night. It was a class at night. And I didn't know, but they worked the whole day. And the class yeah. was from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. So a lot of them just like fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So I continued teaching the class. And there was this guy that always he just come to the class drop the books i'm sure you guys seen it and this you know i never seen a person like that in, mm-hmm. in our schools or or, or or culture is totally different the culture of the university in our countries is you want to be the first one sitting up front you you, you know you want to be in there and here is they see way on the back so there was this guy that said way on the back and he will literally just go to sleep all the time so I got tired of it one night, and I just went to the guy, and I said, hey, you, um, how about I make you a deal? And the guy said, what is it? I said, how about I give you 100, and you don't have to take a final. You don't have to take any quizzes, so I won't grade you quizzes. I won't grade you final. I won't grade you homework. And he's looking at me like, yeah, only do one thing. And he's like, what is it? I said, you got to design a balsa wood bridge, and you got to color in red the member that is going to break now. If it breaks on that member, then you get 100. If it doesn't, then whatever you score, it is. And he took me on the deal. And everybody else is like, hey, professor, I want to do the same. And I say, yeah, no problem. Everybody does it. And I was lucky 
because when we were running that competition, so we got to the end of the semester, everybody brought, brought the bridges, we're going through it, and I got this, uh, Boeing was moving to South Carolina around that time, and there was a reporter looking for news, and they sent it to my, my class because we're having that activity. Well, I end up mm -hmm. on the news out of anywhere else. And now awesome. uh, that they give me like a 10 second segment, but then the president of the school was like, Who is this guy? None of my faculties on the on the on the news, and this mm -hmm. dude is is a part-time instructor and he's in the news. Who is he? So I went to meet him and that turned out good. I went with my boss, which is the department chair, and then everything was good. And when we left the meeting, he said, Hey Sulon, have you ever thought about teaching full time? And I was like, not really, you know, I got my business and we're trying to get into manufacturing and I'm doing engineering on the side and, and not really. And um, he said he will retire in a couple months and he would like for me to apply. And I did. And I, I got the job. I got the job awesome. as a full time um, um, uh, professor at that time. Um, I stay in there. I stay in the school for about two um I say probably six years as a full time. I got all the way to department chair, and I was the department chair of um, of this school of the engineering programs, and I became the youngest um, department chair. It was it was a good experience, but I started getting uh, tired. I was going uh, through the divorce with my first wife, and things were upside down for me. Um, when I became full-time professor, I sold the metal roofing business and I moved the consulting engineering consulting firm into my office at the campus. But I was not mm -hmm. concentrating too much on that. I was mostly teaching. Um, and then I remember uh, there was a grant uh, on manufacturing. And I asked my faculty if anybody wants to develop a class for, for manufacturing and nobody wanted to do it. So I was like, you know what? I'd do it. So I got trained on um, on um, Six Sigma and rapid prototyping and advanced manufacturing. So I got trained in all that stuff, uh, paid by the school. And then I developed a class for entrepreneurs. Well, in one of those classes, I met this dude, which he used to own a um, gun company. And uh, how I got into guns is the following. So I'm in the classroom. <laughs> yeah, it's a Saturday. We're on a college campus. And here in the South, all conversations leads to guns. Either way, one way or the other. One, one way or the other. It's normal. Oh, I made a mistake that I say that I never shoot a gun in my life. Never. Oh, big mistake. Big mistake because everybody, <laughs> I'm not lying to you, it's about 15 people in that class, and everybody look at me like, what? You're from Colombia, Pablo Escobar? And I was like, dude, like, no, I'm, uh, I grew up in Florida. Uh, it's a big city. It's like New York, if I have to describe it. You know, six million people. I mean, you know, and, and they couldn't believe it. So they were like, we got to take you out shooting. So this guy invited us to his factory. He, it was a little factory. It was only 15 people working, and they were making this. Uh, um, this gun, a 308 caliber. Now, at this time, you're going to remember, at this time, I don't understand what a caliber means. I don't mm -hmm. know nothing about sizes. I don't know nothing about nothing. I never held a gun in my hand. Uh, my dad, totally anti-guns, grew up in, in Bogota. 
my dad my dad is being assaulted multiple times so he doesn't like guns at all he's been shot so he he's the most anti-gun person he used to burn all uh water guns at christmas that our uncle oh my god he will find them and he will burn it really anti-gun so that's how i grew up wow. and now you got these guys mm -hmm. and they hand me a 308 rifle okay And I got this thing, and, and, and everybody's looking at me, and I shoot the 308. And I always say there was me before guns, and there was me after that day. After that day. <laughs> I totally fell in love with it. Uh, what I mm -hmm. felt, I never felt that in my life. Um, it felt so I felt so much power, and it, I felt so much... It was, it's, it's a control explosion. Let's start from there, right? So mm -hmm. it felt so good. And so I got obsessed with it. I, it, it was like somebody flipped, like turn a flip on it. And again, you got to remember, I was going through a divorce. I was tired of teaching. Um, I was looking for a way out, even though I didn't know it. I knew I was feeling it. So I went to this guy and I said, hey, I would love to learn more about it. And he took me seriously. And he made me an offer, and I became the chief operating officer of this little startup. It was only like 10, 15 people in the company. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> I left my job in the school, so you can tell the president of the school was telling me, you're crazy, you're going to go to, you're, you're, you're teaching John Brains, now you're going to go make guns. And my dad, my dad was like, you are nuts, what are you doing? Is guns, you know, they're evil, they're bad, and, you know, all the things that they tell you when, you know, or culture. Um, of course. The guns are evil, that they kill people, and, 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 and something in me just saw it different, start seeing it different. And I decided just to don't listen to nobody else, and I decided to quit a really good job with benefits, a state job, a tenure I decided to drop everything to join these guys on, an, on a startup, okay? And wow. um, in three years, we grew the company to 175 people. And uh, in 2017, we sold the company. So um, it, was, it was, let me tell you something. It was, it was a ride because I didn't know nothing about guns. I have to learn about head spacing. I have to learn about magazine capacity, springs, recoil springs, all these terms that for me were like, What, what, is, what is a recoil spring? What is a buffer? What is a stock? Uh, what is a pistol grip? I mean, every single word for me was brand new. What's a caliber? What's mm -hmm. a 308? What's the difference between a 223 and a 5.56, right? What is all these things? What is a 9 mil? What that means? You know, in, in, um, in, in that, what's a tronion? Uh, all these words, what's a cocking tube? What's a carry handle? What is a, a charging handle? I mean, all these words that I was like crazy. Three years, and I remember I worked probably 14, 15 hours a day on that company, and, and, and I learned everything. I used to be with the guys in the shop. I started doing um, all the operations. So I was the, the COO, so I was the second in command, and then we continue growing the company. We got now supervisors, managers, BPs. Um, so it was it was a great experience uh, on, wow. until 2017 when I when I sold the company. 
Um, any questions so far? You tell me when you want me to stop. No, no, no. Go, go for it, Joe. Oh. No, no, no. This is great because we're getting to hear the beginning and we're finally getting to the firearm part. So I have questions about, but I think you're going to go there. So keep going. What happened after you sold the company? Sold the company in 2017. We're high fine. We got a, a, a guy who bought us out with a lot of money. So we were thinking now we can grow the company even more. We can buy machines. The little that we knew, um, this guy hired another CEO. They flew to South Carolina. They fired my partner, you know, the owner of the, the previous owner of the company. They bought it outright. So, um, and then I found myself as an employee of this guy, right? Now, I'm no gonna go too much into detail but we share a different philosophy he was more of a corporate person i'm more like an entrepreneur um i was raised as an entrepreneur my dad is is an entrepreneur himself uh and, and our visions was totally different now here's an important part in 2017 trump just got elected and we literally just rode the tide because it, and this is true, the number one salesman of guns in, in, in the last years was Obama. During, during the yep. time that Obama was suppressing, gun sales just went crazy. So we grew tremendously during the Obama administration. When Trump got elected, the opposite totally happened. A lot of people did what they call stockpile. They will buy ammunition, guns, and everything else. So what happened is when Trump got elected, nobody needed guns. Nobody wanted guns. And we went from $3.7 million in uh, orders to zero, to build to inventory. Now, we dodged the bullet because we just sold the company, right? But mm -hmm. the company, uh, that's when the disagreements start coming into part because I wanted still for the company to make money and he wanted just to don't worry, we're a corporation, we, we'll be okay kind of thing. So in March, I decided to leave the company. Well, they kind of fired me. Um, but when you get, the, I always say, when you get that high in a company, they can't no fire you. So I took a severance plan. So they mm -hmm. a severance package. I ended up leaving the company. And I ended up, um, at that time, I have uh, my girlfriend at the time. And this is interesting. Now she's my wife, but at that time she was my girlfriend. And on the same week that I got fired, uh, we broke up. <laughs> so the same week. So I mm -hmm. ended up myself uh, by myself alone. My son is living in Boston, my first son, with my ex-wife. And, and I'm here in South Carolina and I don't have anybody. All my family lives in Colombia. So I ended up leaving the country because uh, I was not feeling well. Right. Uh, with these events, I got a little bit uh, depressed and uh, I, I, it was really I didn't understand. I didn't understood at that time what was happening. And I remember my one of my best friends called me and said, you got to get out. You, you always wanted to go to Europe. Just just go. So I was like, you know what? You're right. So I took a one way ticket to LaGuardia. So from Moto Beach to LaGuardia, I took an Uber to JFK. And then in JFK, I went and I bought a one-way ticket to the next plane leaving New York to Europe. And that was in Ukraine. So I ended up in <laughs> out of all places. Out I ended up, up in place. Ukraine. And everything got real when I'm in the Uber with an Ukrainian. And this dude doesn't speak anything, no English at all. 
no Spanish, no English. And, and I can't communicate with this guy. And I was like, holy cow, what I just did. I'm, I'm, what I just, <laughs> like, I, you know, but he took wow. me to the hotel. Nobody speak English. And, and, and then I just start moving around and, and walking around. And, and I start just, just backpacking. So I literally backpacked Europe from Ukraine. I went to Poland, from Poland. I visited about 25 countries, I about a month and so. Um, and then I got the idea of Icon. So then is when it hit me. Icon hit me. And then I was like, okay, I know what Icon is going to be. So here's the uh, two-minute pitch elevator, what Icon is. So Icon is an industrial um, gunsmith company. So at that time, if you guys remember, gun sales were to the bottom. At that time, mm -hmm. you were able to buy an AR for, I'm not lying, for about $250, okay? Oh, yeah. And I'm mm -hmm. being serious, and you have choices. Uh, yeah. Guns were to the bottom, and so I knew that I didn't want to open um, a firearms company. I didn't want to make guns. I just wanted to repair guns. And this was just because I noticed there was a niche in there. I noticed there was no repair companies. Uh, it was your typical gunsmith, and I just wanted to make an industrial gunsmith company. So I went back to New York, um, and then I pitched to some investors and I sold 10% of the idea on a computer, on a presentation. And then I uh, got back into South Carolina and um, my, 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 my ex-girlfriend at the time, we went back together. Uh, we decided to organize ourselves. I ended up taking her a couple months later and then I ended up going back to Paris and proposing to her on the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and then back to here and then back to here and I'm just been working nonstop. Now, at that point, I got the FFL for manufacturing um, and I have also the FFL for importing. And then we start importing things from different countries. And then we start just fixing guns for other countries and other gun companies. So that's the beginning of the company. Um, one of these things led to that contract of the Galils. So uh, we found the Galils in Israel and then we purchased them on an auction with an investor's money. So I pitched the, I found the, 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 the auction and I pitched it to an investor and I was just making a commission. And then he put the money, we bought them and then we brought them in here. And the idea was that we will make their guns for them under a variance. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you know what a variance is. is in the United States, uh, there is some companies uh, that they don't make their guns. Somebody else make their guns for them. And the way that they do that is they get a variance. So you stop, you stamp their name on their receiver, but you make okay. the guns. So the, F, the, the ATF allows you to do that. It's a variance. So we pull the variance. We're supposed to start making these 1,500 guns for them. And the deal went off because it was for a son of the investor. And at the time, we're talking about about a year and a half ago. If you guys remember, hemp was really popular. So everybody mm -hmm. wanted to grow hemp. So you got everybody running investors and everybody now wants to be on the hemp business. The gun business through the, through the bottom. No, everybody's mm -hmm. jumping uh, ship, right? So this guy ended up closing the contract. Um, they pay me everything else. So then I approach him and say, well, you guys not going to do nothing with that. Do you mind if you just purchase it back? And he said, no problem. Mm -hmm. And then we, we start making, we start making, making, making on brand. And on since brand. then we release, 
uh, about a year, almost two years ago, we released the first Icon G, which is a Galil style. Which is a Galil style. Uh, micro Galil uh, style. Micro uh, Galil uh, uh, gun. So we released the gun and uh, the video went viral and uh, we've been sold out since then. And that was before the wow. pandemic. Yeah, that was before the pandemic. So fast forward to right now, we're still making um, the, um, the Icon G. Now we make the Icon AR, which is a full-size Galil style. And uh, we also continue importing, and then we import some of the parts. Um, we don't only import Galil parts. We also import other parts in a large volume. Um, we don't sell to people. We sell to wholesalers. So now that's, that's the business. Um, that's the story. That's a great story. Awesome. That was actually when when I first um when looked I first up, um, um looked up, your background um, and, and your background and, and and the story of like what what you your company makes. Um, I researched a little bit about Galil's and um, some some of the people in the audience may not know what that is. Um, actually, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what a Galil is? Some people are saying, "Oh, it's an AK," and I said, "No, it's not an AK." But uh, I'd like to hear from you. Of course. Okay, so the name Galil is a last name of a, of, of a person of Israel. So the person who designed the gun. Now, the story said, now, I, I'm not a, a gun collector, so I won't know all the details. I the actually story, do know this. He was know, a, I, he's a Russian immigrant who right. moved to, to Israel, and his name was not Galil. It was something that sounded like Kashlov, whatever, something. Kalashnikov. So then... They switched it to Galil to make it sound more Israeli. Yeah. He actually said his name was Baloshnikov. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he changed his first name to Israel as well. So his name is Israel mm -hmm. Galils. Nice. So <laughs> what it is, what the Galils are, is a platform that took from the AK platform. So it, it, it is, uh, um, it has the difference between an AK and a Galil is the AK comes on a folded flat and the Galil a mill receiver. One of the different. Most of them are, are different between the AK. I would say it's like a type of an AK, to be correct, a variance of an AK. Mm -hmm. Cool. So then um, I was uh, interested in, 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 like in my head, I was trying to figure out how a Colombian decided <laughs> to make Galil's, so yeah. I was like, I tried to find it. So apparently, uh, Galil's are actually really popular in Colombia. Right. Um, they were first developed by IMI in uh, the 70s and 80s for Israel. Um, they used it in the Israeli uh, military from 1972 through 2000, and they were replaced by the Tavar uh, bullpup. But in okay. the 1980s, um, the Colombian military also adopted the Galil, and uh, the Galil in 308, uh, 762 NATO, because there's a difference. I guess the original Galils were 556, and uh, the ones in Israel, and then the, um, the ones that were exported to Colombia were 308, which replaced, uh, to replace their HK and G3s. So I thought that was going to be it. I was like totally expecting you to be like, military, <laughs> Colombia, and that was your favorite gun. So yeah. it's actually really, really cool that it ended up totally not being that, but somehow there still is a Colombian connection right, with correct. the Galil. Yes, yeah. now you're absolutely correct. Um, what happened is HK um, used to make the G3s. Now the G3s is what the Colombians used to have. Now when HK decided to close all these 
uh, factories that make the, G the G3s, the Colombians found themselves like, okay, well, we can't get more parts. We need to do something. So the Colombians actually have a license with IMI to make the Galil, okay? Uh, they call it the, um, um, they have different names um, and they make the, the full-size Galil. Now, uh, Colombia is also part of NATO. So when they, when they got into NATO, they converted everything to 556. So now everything, the Colombians don't do anything on other caliber other than 556 uh, on the rifle side. Um, so yes, you're absolutely correct on that. Do your, um, your micro galils, what, what are they chambered in? Okay, so the micro galil is just, is, it's just a shorter version of the, of the galil. Now, mm -hmm. the story is that the micro galil is a special forces gun. So it was designed for the special forces, the commandos in Israel. It's an eight inch barrel compared with a 13 inch, which is the SAR, or the 18 inch, which is the AR, the Galil AR and the Galil SAR. Um, that's the difference. Now, it's more expensive because um, it, it, it belongs to the special forces and it's shorter. It has a built-in um, a built-in uh, stock component uh, that, that folds and makes the gun um, uh, usable for urban. So being so compact is, is, is easy to deploy from a car while the other one is really long and they, you, can't, you can't really use it in urban. It's more for like a, for like a, a, a jungle, for like a long range. Yes, yes. Very cool. So I, I was uh, checking out the Instagram. Um, if anybody wants to check out their website, their iconweapons.com and their Instagram is uh, at And we're the only ones in the planet that make the titanium nitrated finish. And actually, that was uh, an idea from the guys at Clash Batch. Um, that was kind of like a challenge that they, they put to me on, um, on January this year. Um, they, hey, it would be great to have a gold-plated gun, right? A gold-plated icon. And I say, well, I researched a little bit into the gold-plated and it turns out that gold plating something is really delicate. So it will scratch really easy. Um, it's more like a, something that you just put on a wall or you don't shoot or you don't. And, and, and for me, a gun uh, is something that you should enjoy. You should go out on the range, you should shoot it, you should be able to clean it, put it back in the box, right? So I'm that kind of guy. I, I am uh, a guy that loves the guns, but love the use of the guns, right? So that's when we came uh, uh, um, with this finish called titanium nitrate. It's a, it's a hard finish, and what allows you to do is it's still flashy, it's still shiny, but it's, it's, it's really durable and it's really resistant. It's the same finish that you put on a, a, um, a drill bit. Oh, a drill bit. You've seen that goal on that drill bit? That's mm -hmm. actually... Uh, um, make it more resistant to temperature, more resistant to abrasion, and all that stuff. So that's where the idea came from. Is that the is that the one that you uh, have on your Instagram with the uh, kind of the red magenta furniture or something? 
on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. We actually, it was a guy actually that won that gun. We we gave that gun away for a Kalash Bash, and everybody was drooling over that gun. Everybody wanted it. Uh, it was it was insane. It, uh, it's the 001, and uh, it, it was it was really cool gun, really cool gun. I know somebody is really happy somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good looking gun. Yeah. Um, so how long you guys have been involved with Kalash Bash? Is it was your first or second year that yeah. you were there? It was our first year. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, the AK community is is really welcoming. Um, mm-hmm. Great great guys uh we have we becoming now friends um which is really good the gun community in general the gun community in general is really welcoming and they are helpful and uh, everybody wants to help everybody everybody's sharing um uh, so i I do like that they they don't it's, it's, it's hard to explain because i've been in different fields Right, so being an engineer and everything else, it's always that competition. And I'm not saying that in the firearms industry there is no competition, but when you get to events like Kalash Bash and you get to talk to the guys, the vendors, everybody that is there working, um, everybody is is really really welcoming. Everybody is 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 um, becomes like a really good friend, like somebody that you talk to for many years, and that's what's happening. Uh, with, with me and the people I'm meeting on, on this on this platform, uh, um, the previous company I used to be all HK, so used to be we used to make a replica of the HK. So we actually used to make G3s. So switching uh, for me was was kind of like a, okay, now we're going into a different group. Now I must say this too: um, a lot of AK people. Um, you, you have and, and this is this is something that that is, is a little bit kind of like a, a, um, a, a, a my experience you have AR people you have AK people you have HK people and <laughs> some of them they have all three platforms but they, you always have your favorite and it becomes something like I'm a four no I'm a Chevrolet no I'm a four and, and it's the same thing you you see some uh, um, uh, kind of like um how you call that like a friendly rivalry rivalry there we go there we go in between the ar people and the ak people but but it's fun it's all good at the end of the day i definitely can relate with um what you just said because we're actually fairly new in in the gun community um we actually started um around november 2019 we went to the the second amendment rally in washington dc and Rolando wanted to be more involved to become an advocate. And I was just like, okay, you got this. I'll be right here, right behind you. Yeah. And it was meeting people um, in the gun community that day, that weekend, that really changed my mind. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to be more than just behind you. I'll be next to you, helping you out with this. And, you know, it's become, it's definitely a, a passion now. Um, and it's definitely difficult to start from scratch for you know for anything um but i could definitely tell you i agree heartily with that it's the people in the community that make this worth it and i'm glad that you found that too <laughs> yes definitely. now the culture mm-hmm. if we talk about the second amendment and if we talk about what really means um what really means for me specifically as a Colombian immigrant that, that grew up on a, what we call a democracy uh, with a really big government, 
um, everything controlled by the government. Um, guns are illegal for law-abiding citizens in our country, or they're really, really hard to get. Um, even now, they make illegal these um, these um, airsoft guns. They're also illegal, which is many people don't believe me. Uh, pepper spray, pepper spray is illegal in Bogota. You can't have it's illegal. They put you in jail for that. Uh, so growing in an environment like that, personally, and being robbed because I've been robbed many times in Colombia, and and, and now having having the freedom, right? Or, or having that peace of mind that you can defend yourself, that you can you don't have to depend on calling the cops, you don't have to depend, you don't have to depend on on other people, but yourself. That right, it, it just for me is is the best thing that can ever happen. Um, I always believe this, and, and and I have a couple of, of friends that I talk about this is. If we if we give guns to the good people in Colombia, there won't be massacres. There won't be because the people will have the power to defend themselves. Now, the the idea will be like, well, people's going to have guns. Hey, listen, the bad guys already have them. They already have them. The, the law is the toughest and they already have these guns and they even have better guns than the police and the military. They do have them already. So it's not the law. So if we if, if we do what they do here in this country, which is giving the opportunity to the law-abiding citizen to defend themselves, lots of people will think twice uh, uh, about uh, going to a little town and taking it over, uh, you know, and, and killing people and raping people and, and doing all these bad things that these people does because they have guns. So I'm saying it will be a, and I always believe this, and I say a gun is an equalizer. A gun is not an evil. A gun is an equalizer. A gun will give the good person the, the, the equality when somebody else is trying to also come uh, uh, for them, right? So me having that experience being in another country and, and having the experience in here and talking to the gun community um, and, and understanding uh, what how, how we get the permits to most people think, and especially these past couple months, I got a bunch of friends of mine that never own a gun calling me and saying, hey, man, you, you make guns, give me, you give me a gun. And I'll be like, no, that's not how it works. That's Some people think that that the guns in this country, you just, you just call somebody and they give you the guns because because they think that's how it works because they come from another country and they've seen it happening that way. No, in here, there is waiting periods. There is your background check. You got to go through, uh, um, fill a form. You got to present your ID. If you buy multiple guns, you got to wait multiple days, sometimes weeks. Um, there is some guns that are illegal you cannot own, right? Um, so there is a bunch of stuff that people don't realize. And I think that what happened in the last couple months, you know, with the riots and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the things going crazy, um, people's realizing, even Democrats are realizing that, okay, well, uh, we gotta, we gotta protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then you got people that, that is from the left, even purchasing guns, yep. right? It, they think that it's just that simple to go there because they've been the anti-gun this whole time saying no guns are evil and all this stuff. And now they see that it's a mob that won't care 
if you are with them, it don't care because these mobs don't listen. They don't listen. Once you get into their their part, they don't care who you are. And the only way that you can protect yourself is by having a yeah. gun and owning a gun. So, and we've seen it. We've seen how people attack their own people. They don't. They don't care. Nope. Why? Because it's a mob, mm. and everybody's just going nuts. So. So I find the guns to be a big equalizer and not a big support of them. Not because of the fact that I'm making, right? Uh, putting that to the side, if I get out of the business, if I get out of the business tomorrow, right? For any reasons, right? Um, I will raise my kids and I will teach my kids that guns are no evil. Guns are an equalizer. And those who tell you that guns are evil, you gotta watch out for them, because nobody can protect yourself by yourself. So I'm saying, so so I'm a huge believer, and and I've been, I guess you can call it the red pill these days, right? Yep. I, I, I took the pill, and it's no way I can go back because I've seen it. I've that's seen how it, it is. Uh, I want to say that I think that. Oh, oh no, no. I, I wanted to get a few questions, obviously, because since we're near, uh, we're already at eight o'clock. Um, they, a couple of people wanted to know: is the uh, twist rate on the micro galils any different than the regular galil, or is it basically just the barrel is just cut, basically? It's the same. It's the same. Okay. One on seven twist. Okay, one on seven twist. Okay, cool. So I, that was just a technical oh. question somebody had. Okay, go ahead, Joe. Did you have any other technical questions in the chat? <laughs> no. So I wanted to say that I find that when Hispanics, especially people, or not just Hispanics, when immigrants come over from countries that are extremely restricted, when they actually do allow themselves to listen to the other side instead of being, well, told this is what you need to believe in, because that happened to my parents. Um, you know, they, they, they're still, you know, think a certain way because they're told they have to think a certain way because they're Hispanic. Um, but I find that when Hispanics or other immigrants come here and they get allow themselves to, to see well the freedom side and the benefits of it, um, it really it, you know you, you get a, a population of people who are very enthusiastic about it, um, like myself and Rolando as well and our parent and his parents, um, just because it's something that we didn't have in our country, um, right. and it's awesome. So I definitely think that. There needs to be, <laughs> I mean, we keep talking about this on the show, how do we get more Hispanics involved in the gun community? But um, I don't think it's something that we can do, but it's just something that we have to help, you know, be open and more inviting and lead by example. So I really applaud you. I think your origin story was wonderful. Um, it shows that hard work can lead to success. Yep. And I love the fact that you're just, passionate about what you do and it shows yeah. you have to you have to this this has been i always say the greatest thing that happened to me um no, no matter what like i say we never know what's going to happen in the next couple of years and and um people is talking about gun control and i i just want to i just want to tell people this um where i come from um all these weapons are illegal and if you study this, the, the history of Colombia, right, um, it didn't happen overnight. And that's what I want to tell people. Be careful. It does not happen overnight, okay? They will start taking your rights little by little, little by little. 
They're gonna start with the big guns. They're gonna go to the me to the medium guns. They're gonna go to the small guns. Then you are not gonna have anything. And and and, and that's why I'm a huge advocate of that. Uh, people say, well, what do you need 30 rounds for? And I say, why not? Why not? Right? What what's what is it so bad that that people is afraid of that? Go to the other side and look what happened when you strip the guns of the good people. Go see what happened. Go look at Colombia. Go look at what's happened with Colombia. The government keeps getting bigger and bigger. There is more Congress people in the Congress than anywhere in the in the entire, I will say, um, um, uh, South the entire continent, right? Uh, meaning per capita, per person. Um, and they always promise the same. And, and, and it's that lie uh, on like, yeah, we will protect you, we'll, we'll take care of you. My, my, my belief is, and, and, and always when I get into, into these conversations, people always say, well, why do you need a gun when you have the police, right? And I love the police. But if you are on a position that you can defend yourself, right, like in this country, I think that is the best thing that can happen to you. Now, everybody that I recommend that they get a gun, I say you gotta get training. Mm -hmm. You gotta get training. If you're gonna, if you're a Latino, and you're gonna get a gun, you gotta do it like most Americans gun owners do, which is you train, you learn that a gun is to be treated always as is uh, is loaded. A gun must be checked before you pass it around. Mm -hmm. You must. You teach your kids since they're little. You learn you learn it the right way. A lot of Latinos friends of mine that sometimes comes to my shop or, or something, they think that it's like on the pistoleros, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the movies. And I have to be serious with them and say, no, the reason why we have this freedom in this country is because people respect the guns and understand that the guns is actually the freedom, right? Yep. So. So that's some of the things that I always, always, are, are, I'm, I'm huge of it when I'm talking to Latinos. Latinos need to get educated and they need to learn what what a really owning a gun is all about. Yep. What having that concealed permit means, what that really means. Um, Latinos were used to getting into a wreck and then taking troops and, hey, trying to fight each other. <laughs> Right, and, and that will definitely not work. Mm -hmm. That will work at all. So education is fundamental. I try to educate people that yes, I make guns. I love it, but I've been trained. I know how to handle a gun. I respect the gun. I know I have my saves. When I'm in my house and my kids, my kids, I put the guns away from the kids. Mm -hmm. It's it's all culture. It's all education. It's like driving a car, right? And and you learn. You learn your way, and you only get your your driver license when you pass the test, and you're good at that. So it's the same thing. I always tell people, it's just the same culture. Latinos, we gotta learn that. And once I promise you, once people learn these skills, they will love owning a gun because they will feel so secure, yep. and they will they they will identify themselves. And, and, and be free uh, on the freedom, on the feeling of being free, which is what, for me, guns are all about. Guns, I don't make guns. 
I bring joy to people with my product and I bring that safety that they, they, they feel when they have one of my guns. So, so that's for me what I'm all about. I'm, I'm all about passing that and continuing that legacy. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Joe, did you have any other questions or anything before we go to the oh. Constitution segment? <laughs> I did want to say uh, we should make a, a Hispanic uh, guns. I, we talked about this briefly in one episode. There is a, a, a National Hispanic Rifle Association that someone made two years ago, but I don't think they have much of a presence on the Internet. So, I don't know. Uh, so, Ivan, I think we need to join them. <laughs> I hope you try to get try to get them, give, um, you know, more up and coming and, and get more members. And, you know, we need a cool club for Hispanics and to encourage other Hispanics. We're going to work on that. I'll That's call you. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, go for it. We're going to do the 16th Amendment today. All right, everybody. Uh... It's a short one. I'm sorry, Tony. Tony in the chat loves to hear me struggle with my Spanish. It's not that bad. It's only two sentences. <laughs> but there is one word I don't know in there, so I'll, you'll get the pleasure of hearing me struggle with the one word. All right. Now, it's, uh, <laughs> this week we have the 16th Amendment, which is one of the worst amendments of all. Uh, I'm sure any of us can agree with. It is the amendment that created income, well, that led to the creation of the income tax. Uh, so this is the 16th Amendment. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without appointment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. So there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Did you add that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I added that part because, I mean, hey, it's an amendment. They passed it legally, so it is what it is. That's how it works. But uh, we can always right. strike that one down. Enmienda número 16, el Congreso tendrá facultades para establecer y recaudar impuestos sobre los ingresos, sea cual fue, fuera la fuente de la provengan, sin prorretearlos entre los diferentes estados y sin atender a ningún censo o recuento. Oh, there you go. That wasn't bad. <laughs> so I always say I'm going to practice it before, but I never do. I think I do it uh, just for just for Tony. <laughs> I don't know if you know um, Tony Simon in the chat. He's a, a wonderful, wonderful friend, wonderful advocate uh, based in New Jersey. And he does a, a program called uh, Diversity Shoot and uh, Guns for Everyone. And he basically takes a bunch of guns and goes to a range and has people come in from from all walks of life and they get to shoot guns together and teach them and it's great so if you haven't haven't heard of him uh i don't know what i'm telling you but i just really like him so <laughs> <laughs> that that amendment was uh that my uh stutters were all for him all right well hey <laughs> thank you so much Sullivan, for being on and for taking time i know that you're driving and you're trying to get home uh for business yeah. so we really appreciate your time before tonight. we leave oh where can people find your 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 stuff? Yes. Yes. Um, best way is Instagram right now. We're working on the website. The website sucks, as you can tell, but we're working on it. I promise you. Uh, Instagram is the best way. At Icon Weapons. That's as is good. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, let me close up with business. Uh, we we're hoping to have uh, more guests on in the coming weeks. Obviously, we've got Thanksgiving coming up, so I don't know if we'll have anybody that weekend, but. Um, you never know. We, we like to surprise you guys and keep you on your toes. Um, as always, the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Uh, all your pro-freedom podcasts in one place, like uh, 
Riding Shotgun with Charlie. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Guns and Gadgets. Gun Freedom Radio. Oh, of course, Gun Freedom Radio and the Polite Society Podcast. Uh, as always, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Suleiman. Thank you to my wonderful wife. And thank you to all of you uh, out there in the chat. You guys make it great. And uh, the show is always more fun because of you guys. Uh, thanks a lot, and we'll see you this time next week. Take care.